The hoodoo is broken. Well, kind of anyway. I'm Ace Allen. This is the review after City went to Anfield and came away with a draw that simultaneously feels like a great result and also one that is a little bit disappointing considering how the game panned out. Joining me to look back at it, I've got... Uh, was that a foul by Fernandinho or was that a handball and a penalty? I think it was more of a handball and it was a foul. I think, And I think the ref bottled it basically because he, he wasn't even going to give the foul. And then when he saw they were going so mad about the pen, he just went, he blew the whistle really late and just went, oh yeah, that was a foul. Mm. So I think he gave that to get himself out of a difficult situation. Um, I think it became the game of chess because both teams were scared of going high up the pitch too much. Uh, but this suited City more because they've got more demons to exercise, so to speak, from this fixture. And I think we didn't bomb forward. We didn't. We were scared of just leaving those big gaps if they counterattacked. No one wanted the other team to be allowed to counterattack. And we closed off the flanks, just like Napoli did during the week. First, very similar shape to them at some points. You know, that back four just stayed... It just Liverpool, I think Klopp wanted to lure our defenders out up the pitch. And I think what was different is they didn't fall for it. They just stayed pretty deep. So Walker and Mendy were quite conservative for them. And Laporte and Stones just kept their positions in defence. Stones gave an interview afterwards and it's always good when the City players kind of go into a bit of the, the tactical preparation because Guardiola never does. He yeah. very rarely does. Um, but Stones was just talking and he said that you've seen that Salah and Firmino press from the blind side on both centre-halves. And I mean, that's not something we'd ever notice really, just as fo- football fans or even it, maybe just in my case. But even as a journalist, you know, that's not something we'd notice. You know, their, their pattern of pressing, but obviously that's something that Guardiola works on. And in Marty Perinau's books about Bayern Munich, he, he worked on that a lot um, against Dortmund, both when Klopp was there and when he wasn't... Um, because that front three certainly don't look like they're uh, they're all that. Um, I think there's a real dearth of creativity in their midfield. I mean, they miss Oxlade Chamberlain for sure, but in general, whether it's Kater, uh, uh Wijnaldum, and, and Henderson, or it's Milner, Wijnaldum, and Henderson, you you can perm any three from that four, and uh, I'm not sure there's enough creativity there to. Uh, to get close to challenging City. So it will be interesting to see in the next two or three months whether they stay where they are or whether come January there's a, a bigger gap. I know that. Just very quickly, I was just going to say, Pep had this problem that teams react to how he played and then he had to try new stuff. And that, the hope for me as a City fan is that people have sussed out now that it depends on a workman-like midfield feeding those front three in space out wide. And if you shut down those flanks, there's just nothing left. There's not much left there. So I hope mm. a lot of other teams, like Napoli, were, you know, Napoli worked it out. Uh, I think, you know, Pep did a good job. There's not one in four now. Savi obviously did quite well over two games. I would hope that teams now see, you know, they now react. These are all good managers, even if the team's not as good as Liverpool's. React and do this likewise, and we'll see if Klopp's got plans B or C after that. Hi, Mason, and this is League Matters. And what a Premier League it is this season. So much to talk about, so many mad things. I don't really know where to begin. On his appointment, if you chat to any United fans, 
I mean, even the ones who were kind of pro Mourinho and saying, yes, we're really glad we've got him, you could see behind their eyes, they knew he was not a United manager, that he would bring chaos and he'd bring kind of friction and he would split the club in half, ultimately, whether it, you know, prior to that would be two successful seasons or not. Ultimately, it would combust because that's what happens when Jose Mourinho goes to a football club. I'm, not having, I'm, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I'm not having the idea that Man United are a badly run club. Like, I think that that's a really easy thing for lots of people to say because a manager with a really big name is failing. Mm. And because of that, they're, they're the very obvious thing. And also because the Glazers are very easy um, comedy villains and Woodward, uh, by extension of that, is a very, 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 very easy target for a lot of people, including somebody like Gary Neville, who will never admit to his financial relationship with Jose Mourinho's agents. In terms of footballing, I, I completely agree with Gary Neville, no matter what his motivations may be. Um and when you say that he's an easy target, Woodward, he is. And it's kind of unfair to an extent because it's because he's the only person to fire at. And that is precisely why Manchester United are a badly run football club. They don't have the infrastructure in place. They don't have the personnel in place. They don't have the people below Woodward or alongside Woodward to deal with Jose Mourinho. So in the summer, when he goes to the club and says, this is my shortlist, these are the players I want, they include two centre-backs... And they don't get those centre-backs. It's Woodward's head on the block. It shouldn't be Woodward's head on the block because there should be other guys out there doing that job for him. They don't have it in for me is he's got Lacazette and Aubameyang as a kind of uh, an explosive partnership there. Um, They're both kind of fit and firing and they're both fantastic forwards. And so they've got the firepower there now. But the biggest boon without a question of a doubt, is one of those new signings that we alluded to earlier, Lucas Torreira, Mm. who, I mean, his stats this season are incredible. The difference he makes when he plays than when he doesn't play is just chalk and cheese. You know, when he plays, they're tight defensively, they don't concede, and they score more goals. When he doesn't play, they're letting him in by the shed load. So he is everything to them. He's quickly... Uh, Bournemouth and Fulham. We'll start by talking about Bournemouth. They can get away Bournemouth with finishing 12th and no one really would bat an eyelid. The fans have a huge amount of respect for their manager and rightly so. And furthermore, the fans have a lot of admiration for how their club is run. It's a well-run club uh, where everyone is pretty much in, you know, harmonious, which is a rare thing. They're not going to be competing for major trophies. That's just the way it is. Mm. Uh, that's not happening unless there's some one-off miracle like Leicester. And even then, to keep it going would be almost impossible after that. So at one point, I mean, he's young enough to have loads of time in the game, so there's no rush, to be honest. But at some point, he's got to make a decision. Yes, do I just do I carry on here forever, become a club legend, if probably already is, to be honest? Or do I take that gamble? At some point, he'll probably take the gamble. But then it's got to take... It's got to take a chairman to take the gamble as well to say that he can replicate that with bigger resources and bigger egos. Final club that I want to speak about this week are Fulham, who we all tipped to do really, really, really well. <laughs> and still time. Who are on course to concede 100 goals this season. 
thing is, in the championship, they conceded goals. They conceded more than any other team in the top six. I think they conceded like the same as Millwall, a bit lower down the table. So this is nothing new. They didn't have a tight defence, but in the championship, they could get away with it. They were entertaining. They were outscoring other teams. It didn't matter that much. But as soon as you come up, you know, the chasm in quality, as soon as you come up to this level, you can't just keep playing like that. He's got to. He's got to show up that defense. It's as simple as that. But I mean, it's not just how much they spent. They signed twelve players as well, and you alluded to it. That that could just be putting confusion into the manager's mind now, because you know if he'd if he'd looked at his squad that came up and went, look, where are the three weakest positions here? We'll buy players, strong players in those positions, and consolidate this entertaining team we've already got. Then you bring twelve in. You're like, well, oh. And a lot of them are about the same level. And if you lose a game, you lose two games. You think, well, I need to do a change it around. And then you bring in players of a similar level. And it's just, yeah, sometimes you can have too many players, basically. Hey, Sam, it's Friday. And this is the Friday show. Our round robin of all things City from the last week. In terms of this kind of idea of recognition, is it important? that Laporte is recognised, or is it better that he continues to fly under the radar from a City perspective? Yeah, I'll answer the second one first. I, think, oh, I couldn't care less. Well, couldn't care less. I'm actually quite glad he's going under the radar. Don't, we don't need the attention. We don't need articles raving about him. Just let him do his thing for us. There's probably less pressure for him if he gets very little attention. So I'm fine with that. We don't, you know, unlike some other teams, we don't have to big up our players and Decide that they're all the best in the world in their Meow. position. We had no threat from open play whatsoever in that World Cup. It was all set pieces and a solid defence. And that's not really going to sustain us in the coming years. Especially if it's true that we do have this absolute wealth of talent coming through. And I think that what he should do is he should go almost invert that slightly and go, I'll play with two that have got legs and have got more of a defensive sensibility. So, for example, you play with Henderson and Delph, yeah? yeah. But you stick James Madison in the three. Yeah. And then you play with a front three of Sancho, Sterling and Kane. I think I'd be disappointed if the system remains rigidly, inflexibly the same and he tries to sh- shoehorn Sancho in, in Raz's position for 15 or Madison in Ali's position for 15 with everything else remaining the same because Mm. I think part of the evolution out of the World Cup and into whatever happens next is to develop that system and look at where it fell down which was basically in its creativity because it was so rigid Um, and maybe figure out how to implant more creativity and I think the way to do that is to have Raz and Sancho as play them as basically as as wide forwards. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. And as always, up the blues.